0: The Business Station. BFM 89.9, a very good morning to you. You're listening to The Morning Run. It's 6am in the morning on Monday the 30th of May. I'm Philip C. in the studio today. Joining me is Shazana Mokta. A very good morning, everybody. And Shazana, how are you doing?
1: Hello, hello. Good morning, good morning. It is another Monday, another start to another work week. The last days of May.
0: It is. It's also national water flower day, apparently.
1: In which country?
0: Everywhere, globally.
1: It's a global (laughs) flower and water day. How lovely. Yes.
0: Did you have a good weekend?
1: I did. My weekend was relaxing and uneventful, just the way I like it.
0: Oh, on on the converse for me, I I had a chalk-packed weekend. I actually went to the MPU, Malaysian Philharmonic Orchestra, Ah. and watched my first ever concert this year, which was incredible.
1: What did you watch?
0: I watched uh, at the Serenade of Strings and Winds, um, and it was actually a packed crowd, really crowded. And uh, it was a lot of young people as well, uh, you know, watching a classical performance, which actually took me by surprise.
1: I think the MPO has always managed to sell out its um, its classical music performances. Yes. And I think after two years of not being able to watch this, it's really nice to see um, our cultural seed coming back to life again.
0: It was refreshing and, you know, all around KLCC, it was jam-packed. But what's also jam-packed is our agenda for today. Because at 7.15, we're going to have news surrounding the Mon- monkeypox disease, which has put on age many people, no thanks to the COVID-19 pandemic.
1: So we'll be talking to uh, Dr. Vinod Balasubramaniam of the Jeffy Chair School of Medicine and Health Sciences on what Malaysia is doing in response to monkeypox and just getting his assessment on whether we've learned lessons from the COVID-19 pandemic in dealing with these global outbreaks.
0: That's right. And at 7.30, you know, we've seen India's inflation reach 7.8%. You know, and the question is really, how is Indone- India's economy chugging along? We get analysis on what's a hit for the Indian economy as we speak to Sanjay Masto, Chief Economist at ANZ Bank.
1: India has... Seen so much, so many challenges amid the outbreak. I mean, they had one of the worst outbreaks of the world last year, and although things are recovering now, they're facing climate change issues. What Mm. with drought uh, affecting their uh, what agricultural harvests, Um, and I think there's just a lot of things that uh, we need to look out for for this third largest economy. I mean, so many
0: elements as well. Even the Ukraine Russia crisis, where them importing all over from Russia, has also caused quite a lot of consternation. And at seven forty-five, we bring it back home as we see unofficial results showing what PKR members want from the leadership of the party. And so we get an analysis from Dr. Oi San, Senior Fellow at the Singapore Institute of International Affairs, of the results that are slowly trickling in overnight.
1: Absolutely. I think uh, one of the most watched positions was, of course, Deputy President. There was that race between Rafizi Ramli yeah. and Saifuddin Nasution. I think there is a winner. And we'll get all into that a little later on the show at 7.45am.
0: Yeah, so stay tuned because we have a really packed show. We'll be discussing all that and more after this. Stay tuned, BFM 89.9. That was I Never by Rilo Kylie. This is The Morning Run. I'm Philip C. And I'm here together with Shazana Mokta. Now let's get to the first story of the day. And, you know, what an interesting story to start your mind. Monday morning because my favourite magazine, The Economist, my favourite column, Bartleby, and the theme (laughs) is making brainstorming better. Shazana, are you rolling your eyes?
1: Not at all. I'm just thinking of how you would um, put the lyrics to these are a few of my favourite things, (laughs) including The Economist, Bartleby and brainstorming in that mix. I'll let you know what I come up with (laughs) later on in the show. But tell me more about uh, Bartleby's column this time.
0: Well, I think many people are rolling their eyes when we hear the word brainstorming especially if your boss says, hey, you know, we've got a problem. Let's all sit together in a room and brainstorm together and solve the world's biggest problems.
1: Okay, I'm going to sound like such a dweeb when I say this, <laughs> but I personally really love brainstorming. So actually. do I, actually. Yeah. <laughs> it's a weirdly what, the exception to the conventional thought against brainstorming. I personally really like the exercise of just throwing ideas around with, with no limitations, really, to see what, we can come up with um, in terms of resolving a particular solution.
0: It's the frequency of when we do these brainstormings, isn't it? Because there are many bosses who have this proclivity of doing it very often and too often, and that could be quite tiring. But if let's say you you, you think about it and say, okay, let's do it you know, once or twice a year, it, it is quite meaningful, especially if many of us have rote jobs where we are so immersed in the details in the day-to-day activities of work and life, sometimes it is valuable to step out and think about things in a very different way.
1: I guess, I mean, the article did point out a couple of tensions in the uh, process of brainstorming, right? And one, I suppose, refers to what is what is the brainstorming exercise for? Yeah. And uh, the tension that comes up is always between creativity and feasibility. Because on one hand, you want to bring out the most creative ideas, the most off the wall, out of the box um, solutions to something. But at the same time, you're coming up against the whole, but can we really do that? Yeah. Like how much of that is a pie in the sky? You know, what yes. what what is what is it that we can do versus what is it that we want to do if there were no limitations? And truthfully, in this world, there are limitations. There the are resources limitations. Resources are limited. So how do you navigate that then, you know, and I guess that's what the job of a good manager is supposed to be in terms of harnessing all those ideas and then somehow coming up with a, a, a solution that covers what was discussed.
0: And typically what happens during a session like this, the easier the easier solutions come up earlier and then the more crazier uh, wilder ideas come at the end of the session. But it leads to two broader tensions. The question about hierarchy especially if the group involves managers and non-managers, how do you kind of brainstorm with the boss present there is a big question and then the second question is the insider and outsider view where you know you have people who have a wedded view internally but you want to get and inject some freshness or excitement or some craziness into the idea you get external people how do you manage that tensions going forward and i in my view sometimes it's good for a facilitator to be outside mm. if the whole team is that's participating is internal but if it's an internal person facilitating it's important to make sure that you get an external view as well
1: I, uh, I would tend to agree with that. I, I do think there's some value and I suppose having an objective person moderating the discussion. Because what can happen if it's, um, a purely internal group, and especially if there are bosses present and yeah. depending on how high, how high up the hierarchy those bosses are, uh, it, it could, um, I guess, prohibit or, you know, make p- some people feel inhibited to really express what they're thinking. It might also lead to a round of, uh, I don't know, groupthink also. Groupthink or perhaps trying to make the boss feel good if, if you feel that's your ticket to getting what you want in the discussion. Um, a lot of fraught, I guess, psychology dynamics involved oh, there. For sure
0: for sure. And also even the format and how you facilitate. I mean, there are many like icebreakers you do to kind of get everybody loosened up, but it can also sometimes be very in my in my view i don't know just seems very boring and also sedate at times and i think that's where sometimes you know you can't do it too frequently and the format also is key in the sense that you can't do it in the same environment you know sometimes that's why people do all these going outside and going these off-sites essentially, right, to get a different perspective and fresh air. So I think that's very key as well to make these brainstorming sessions super effective.
1: Yeah, and the article does uh, end with just some suggestions on how to make brainstorming uh, more productive rather than feel like a waste of time. I think the first thing off the bat is really defining the parameters of the brainstorming session, really understanding what it is that the group is trying to do. Um, And then also just creating opportunities for everyone to feel in to give a suggestion, I think one of the um, mechanisms suggested was doing writing down your ideas first rather than having everyone say it out loud, so that mm. those who are more introverted will also be able to have um, some voice in the discussion. So a lot of ways to get the brainstorming session more democratic and more participatory.
0: I, I do I do resonate with that. I see many people who, especially those who are loud extroverted, they tend to dominate the conversation. But as you said, Shazana, very important upfront, state the problem. Be clear about the Parameters and framework because you can't run wild if you're just if you don't have a frame to drive it forward. And I think that's the biggest issue. You know, we can to we tend to talk about let's solve about how increasing revenue and then we talk about what type of ice cream I'd like to have for lunch, and that's a huge divergence from the conversation intention.
1: So to think outside of the box, we need to define the box first and Absolutely. then figure out what should go outside of it.
0: And I hope we have these brainstorming discussions on the World Economic Forum next because we have a discussion on Davos. We're heading into a quick break. Stay tuned, to BFM 89. Nine. That was Black Lagoon by Still Corners. You're tuning into the Morning Run. I'm Philip C and I'm in the wonderful company of Shazana Mokhtar. Hello, hello. Now let's get to the next story and it's all around a recap of what happened at the World Economic Forum in at Davos this year. I mean this session was supposed to take place, I think Uh, during the winter season in January-February, but that got delayed to now spring. So if you saw pictures of it, it was a nice rolling Swiss meadows. But it's also been delayed. I think they've not had this for about close to two years. So it was a very interesting gathering of sorts with all the movers and shakers around the world.
1: I mean... When you look back to why the World Economic Forum was first instituted, the idea is that if you get all these very powerful, very clever people in a room together, they're supposed to sit down and discuss and how, on how to resolve um, the world's problems, Which right? begs
0: the question, why won't we invite us since we are both powerful and clever, Shazana?
1: I am waiting for my invitation still. Well,
0: too still. late. Well, yes. don't worry, it's eight months away for the next one. So, you know, they have time to RSVP for us. January
1: 2023. <laughs> We're putting our names down, WEF, just so you know. Uh, but yes, I mean, the D- Davos has been going on since the 1970s, right? And I think over the years, there has been constant criticism about how effective really is this forum. How How... Has it solved any of the world's problems? I think that's a big question. And really, is this just one giant uh, party for the rich, famous and... and powerful, essentially.
0: Yeah, I mean, this, this is the biggest criticism of it. It is a network networking event for the most powerful. It creates so much hype and the expectation is elevated, but no results come through. If you think about and you contrast the other events that take place, like the COP26 Glasgow event, where at least there was some action or discussion or debate about a commitment to make certain decisions, even though that people are still disappointed, at least you can see some intention and objective. Or even Jackson whole, where the central bank governors all meet and congregate together. It wasn't high profile, so people don't have heightened expectations on this. But with the World Economic Forum, you have all the media agencies covering it and blitzing it across the board. So people are wondering, okay, what tangible actions are coming out from the sessions?
1: So the New York Times has an interesting piece um, about this particular subject, about this issue exactly. And the title is, For Elite Yes, Ostentatious Yes, but also Effective. So, in this particular article, they make the case that um, there is benefit especially for NGOs, and um, I suppose those who are looking to network, like maybe smaller uh, groups, smaller organizations that are looking for a way to get in touch with other people of like-minded mm. concerns, they they say that there is there is benefit in the Davos Forum for that. And in some ways, okay, perhaps, but I guess the big thing is how do you actually get your foot in that doorway? Because as you mentioned, Phil, we weren't invited, you <laughs> know, so who actually gets in yeah invited yes. to this event, who actually gets to be present, who actually is able to network with these big movers and shakers?
0: Perhaps the bigger question here is, is the effectiveness not about these big symposiums, conferences or forums where there are discussions and talk shops, but it's the behind-the-scenes, door-to-door conversations that take place? You know, and we, you know, our, our both our finance minister and our Minister of Health, Kari Chamuluddin and Tengu Sarful Aziz, who were there, and we kind of got a glimpse of what was taking place because we saw both of them having one-to-one conversations, or they were trying, kind of taking pictures. And they are small rooms. Yeah, it's not these big, expensive rooms. So Davos is a very small town in Switzerland, and they had to build all these makeshift buildings. So it's not to say it's in luxurious environment, but. I guess the value is all these small one-to-one meetings, and perhaps it's where all the NGOs value the most. But the attention we get to hear a lot about are the bigger themes that are touched upon in these one in these forums and conversations that take place among these movers and shakers.
1: Well, one of the uh, I guess glaring, not inconspicuous absences, conspicuous conspicuous absences yeah. from Davos this year was the fact that Russia and China had very little or no presence at this forum, and for something that labels itself as the world. World Economic Forum, a big question is how representative of the world is Davos actually? I mean, is it still, I I think the perception is it's still very European centric, still very Western centric. How much of Asia and other continents is included in this discussions?
0: That's absolutely correct. I mean, China could not attend because of the lockdowns they were taking place. Russia naturally for the Russian-Ukraine conflict. But we have global challenges to sort out, right? You have COVID, you have the climate crisis, you have crops, you know, all losing, you know, steam. So really this requires global action, but the forum doesn't represent the globe. And I think that's one of the biggest central problems we have. And I think we hope and we hope to see that actually further action is taken and there are more targeted and relevant conversations that take place beyond just this forum. I think more to discuss there, but it's now just turning 6.25 in the morning. Up next, we have Baba O'Reilly by The Who before we head over to stories that make international headlines this morning. Stay tuned, BFM 89.9. That was Three More Days by Ray LaMontagne. It's actually three more days to Thursday, but I'm not sure really what the significance of that is. <laughs> but in any case, it's 6.40 in the morning, Monday the 30th of May. You're listening to The Morning Run with Shasana Mokta and myself, Philip C. Let's have a look at the stories that made international headlines this morning.
1: All right, so after every weekend, there's usually some sports-related headline or other because weekends, as we note, are often the times when these big sports events take place. So I want to highlight uh, something that came in just uh, just this morning. Um, Rafael Nadal has made it to the quarterfinals of the French Open. He had to fight through a five-set win Ooh. over Felix Auger-Aliassime. Uh, and um, I think that's just testament to Rafa's Really, his uh, tenaciousness and resilience, yes. He is not known... He's known as the King of Clay for a reason. So he will be going up against Novak Djokovic in the next round. I think that's going to be a pretty... It's going to be a pretty, how to say, tight match. Everyone's going to be watching that for sure.
0: But the tennis, uh, French Open also has been marred by you know anger management issues, isn't it? Uh, we saw even one tennis player, this uh, Irina Camilo be- uh, Begu, I think, basically throw his racket on the floor and causing quite a bit of uproar actually in the French Open. So a bit of bad tempered uh, sportsmanship also taking place there.
1: Could be the weather, you know, uh, temperatures aren't, uh, it's always hot during this time of year, uh, particularly more so this year over others. Uh, but still sticking to the to the theme of sports, we did see the Champions League take place on Saturday and I hope Liverpool fans out there aren't nursing um, too much heartbreak this Monday morning. Liverpool of course lost to Real Madrid 1-0 in a, a surprise, not surprise goal but the goal came in the second half towards the end of the match Um, I think uh, lots of uh, disappointment on the Liverpool side and this match was also marred by the fact that there was a lot of out of stadium um,
0: fracas
1: I guess problems there were reports that Liverpool fans couldn't gain access into the stadium despite having tickets um, with organizers saying there were a lot of um, fake tickets in circulation. So both governments, uh, the French and the UK governments, are calling for more investigation into what actually happened.
0: But regardless, I think Liverpool had a stellar year. I mean, this was a disappointing result for many of the fans. But honestly, Jurgen Club has done a great job, I think, in turning out the fortunes of this club. This year has been really a stellar year. Now let's shift attention to market news. And again, we cannot uh, <laughs> have a conversation without Elon Musk here, because what we've seen so far is that Tesla said they won't be setting up a manufacturing plant in India. India until it's first allowed to sell and service imported cars in the South Asian nation. So really, this is a question really about market access before you're allowed to invest and manufacture in India. The background story here really is I think Elon Musk was saying, look, I can't set up a manufacturing plant unless you give me market access first, unless you allow me to bring in my China... Manufactured cars to sell in India, and once I see the demand and pro uh, demand come through, then only I can consider putting a manufacturing facility there.
1: All right, so Tesla trying to play ball here, trying to get uh, the Indian government to, I suppose, give him what he wants, which is market access to India and South Asia. um, Something that he may have to wait for a while because India is notoriously very protective of its automobile sector.
0: Yeah, I mean, this is the same issue in Malaysia as well, isn't it? We have a national car company. How do you find the right balance between attracting foreign investments into Malaysia versus trying to, you know, kind of grow your national car industry? At the same time, you do want to be able to build and create jobs because and that's what's happened in Malaysia right Thailand has basically built its auto industry by opening up the market per se so very interesting development taking place there and what it says for the overall issue about globalization and protectionism as well
1: at the moment um, Tesla has factories in the US Germany and China so also in Canada so very concentrated in particular regions, very concentrated in particular countries. Um, where else it will look to open up factories is a big question mark. I mean, we did see him meet with President Joko Widodo um, just a couple of weeks ago. That caused a lot of fanfare. Is Tesla looking to open up factories in Indonesia or some kind of battery component factory, perhaps? Uh, I think looking to this area of this particular part of the world, a lot of excitement uh, if Tesla decides to come to
0: here. Yes, because I think what they wanted to do was really actually just secure upstream all the necessary raw materials and commodities essential for uh, battery production. Just one more story that struck me, I think, was over the weekend, as we saw in HSBC, they were facing queries from customers about its commitment to fighting climate change, right? After a senior banker downplayed Risco at that time, Stuart Kirk, the global head of responsible investing, actually was quoted to say, climate change is not a financial risk we need to worry about. Now, that said, credit to the bank. They've immediately, I think, uh, put him on leave. Uh, And so even there have been town halls where essentially staff are questioning why he said that. And even HSBC Group Chief Executive Noah Quinn has said that Kirk's comments were inconsistent with HSBC strategy and do not reflect the view of senior leadership.
1: That caused quite the kerfuffle in the uh, financial world last week when the news came out because it is very jarring when you have yeah. um, one of your bank leaders say that climate change is, is not this is not to be taken seriously. I think that's that's quite the miss, misspoken statement.
0: But credit to them, they have responded extremely fast. And you actually even see staff within the organisation express their disappointment and dismay over his comments. And I think the bank has responded and reacted quite fast to that uh, response. It's now 6.46 in the morning. We're taking a quick break. And after that, we'll go through the local headlines. Stay tuned. BFM 89.9 that was learned to fly by the fool Fighters. Sometimes I remind myself I need to learn to walk properly first. But in any case, <laughs> it's currently 6.15 in the morning. You're listening to the Morning Run and right now we're heading to the latest news in Malaysia. Shaz, what's on your docket?
1: Well, in front of me, I've got Sinar Harian and um, they are going with the front cover of Hari Wartawan National, also known as Hawana. Uh, yes, uh, the National Journalists' Day, I suppose in translation. And um, it covers what the Prime Minister said about wanting to keep uh, Malaysian media independent. So he has given his assurances that uh, press in the country will be free to report on instances. And um, I would like to see that uh, actually put to action. So very nice uh, words, very nice rhetoric, but whether that is actually the case uh, could be questioned and debated, I
0: feel. (laughs) I guess the intention is clear, but you know, just reflecting about two weeks ago where we saw uh, journalists, activist groups, I think, ask for laws to protect authorities after what we saw happen uh, with uh, security guard intimidating reporters over the long queues at the Urban Transformation Center in Pudu Central just about two weeks ago. So at that time, Garakan Media Merdeka or short for Garam, had said that this really is a need to protect the press after all these recent harassment cases that have taken place. So I really hope when we talk about media expression, we also make sure we create the environment that is safe for media journalists to report the facts of the case.
1: One thing that the Prime Minister didn't mention in his speech is anything about the Media Council. And this is a proposal that's been discussed among the media fraternity for Yonks now, Mm. um, allowing for the industry to self-regulate through a Media Council. Um, I really do hope that policymakers will look at this proposal seriously um, rather than just, um, I guess, rhetoric is one thing, but um, actually giving uh, the industry the tools to be able to regulate themselves and actually create that environment of free press. That's uh, it incredibly important.
0: Yeah. And i am just sticking to another story that came out, I think, over the weekend, I think Friday evening. What we saw was Axiata announcing the sudden departure of Group CEO Izadin Idris. Now, basically, on mutual contract secession, his, he will step down on May 31st, which is tomorrow, and that's only after one and a half years in the role. For me, this was a really striking and interesting news because we saw in tandem news that came out that Board Representative PNB and EPF had voted against Axiata's. Indonesian link net buy. At the same time, there was also a press release coming out with respect to the commitment to meet the June 30th deadline to conclude the 5G deal with Digital National Berhad. So Akseda, then its parent company of Cellcom, had said that they are committed to close the deal. But there's been a lot of tension as well about the shareholding of DNB uh, because initially I think the four telco CDMU had wanted a majority controlling stake, but it seems unlikely to be the case. So for for me, the resignation of uh, a CEO after just only one and a half years, you know, years—you know—is surrounded by so many factors that took place.
1: Not the greatest time to be losing the top figure in your company, I guess, with especially with all these issues still outstanding for AXIATA and the broader telco sector. Do we know at this point who will be replacing Izadin?
0: We have actually uh, two CEOs. It will be a, jo- a joint appointment, actually, where Dr. Hans Vijayasuriya Surya and Vivek soot will be interim joint actors Acting, acting group CEOs effective June 1st.
1: Okay, so that uh, they will, will have two heads instead of one. Uh, perhaps, well, they say two heads are better than one, right? Maybe this will help the company? <laughs> or in could the- cause
0: confusion. We've also saw that take place with Bridgaya Group when uh, Jaleh Rashid had resigned and it was also replaced by a dual CEO role. So I wonder if this trend will continue going forward where if they cannot appoint a clear, strong leader, the best way is to disappear and, and split the role into two.
1: Something to keep an eye on for sure, especially as that June 30th deadline comes around where telcos are supposed to um, finalize the agreement with Digital National Berhad on the 5G rollout. Uh, Lots of questions still outstanding there.
0: Just one more quick story. Uh, Zuraida, I'm sure we've heard, before. Minister Datuk Zuraida Kamarudin has today lobbied for more maternal traits to be instilled in Malaysian politics. This is after her resignation from Bersatu as she joins PBN, Parti Bangsa Malaysia.
1: Aha, uh-huh. and I think there's a lot of uh, questions regarding her position in cabinet, uh, whether her resignation from Bersatu will actually mean she vacates her cabinet position. I think for the time being, Prime Minister Ismail Sabri says that she will still remain as Minister for Plantation. Industries. Um, but what happens next, I think everyone's looking to see whether a cabinet reshuffle will take place. It will
0: be very interesting because we also saw recently Brissatou has said that that seat is intended for Brissatou, so it should be replaced by a Brissatou member of parliament. I'm very keen to see how all these dynamics will shape up in the coming uh, election as well. Um, because I think that uh, Isri Ismail Sabri has said that you know uh, Zuraida, in his view, remains in cabinet, but what portfolio, what role will that be is the big question mark. All right. It is now six fifty-five in the morning. We're heading into the 7 a.m. news bulletin. And when we come back, we'll be looking at how markets closed yesterday. Stay tuned. BFM 89.9. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to BFM.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, the business station.